Good morning. Uh, I'm going to call this uh, fellowship hour with David Thompson because last time we had about 45 minutes of fellowship after I was done talking. I think today we're looking more about 40 minutes of fellowship after I'm done talking. So, uh, and also, I was promised five bucks by Rob McDowell if I mentioned food. So I didn't eat any, but the food looks really good. So <laughs> pay up, buddy. Uh, let's pray. Holy Father, open our hearts to your teaching today. May the words that I use come from your providence. Thank you for patiently shaping us to fulfill your purpose. Amen. Okay, most of you probably already have your Bibles open. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I broke this down into four questions. I'll just start with the first one. What does it mean to love God? The Greek in this passage for love, and I don't speak Greek, is agapeo. Now, I'm just going to say agape because I've heard that. The meaning of agape is to completely give ourselves over to something. It has nothing to do with warm, fuzzy feelings or the intensity of our feelings. It's about commitment. It's about where our priorities lie. It's about a choice. Many people believe in God, and many people love God, but feeling love without exhibiting commitment is meaningless. Flip with me or flip to 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5. And I'm just going to read excerpts from it. By this... We know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So, we can demonstrate our love for God by obeying his commandments. Continuing with 1 John 5, And his commandments are not burdensome. Because of our deep love for God, we are not being forced to follow his commandments. Ultimately, we are doing what we want to do. First uh, John 4, verse 16, just one page ahead. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And also, First John 4, 19 through 20, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen, has not seen, sorry. So the best ways for us to demonstrate our love for God are to, one, obey his commandments cheerfully, since after all, we're doing what we want. Uh, for example, don't roll your eyes. Um, and two, loving our fellow man. Okay, the second question that I have for the, uh, in regard to this passage is, how do all things work together for my good? Uh, in the Matthew Henry commentary, it says, it is our love to God that makes every providence sweet and therefore profitable. Those that love God make the best of all he does and take all in good part. Flip to Psalm 57, verse 2. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. So if God is working all things together for my good, why does it hurt sometimes? Uh, I like to picture God as a blacksmith. 
how does a blacksmith fashion something beautiful or useful out of a lump of metal? First, he puts the metal in a very difficult place, the hottest part of the fire. Then after heating it up for a while, he proceeds to take it off the fire, places it on an anvil, grabs a big hammer, and starts pounding on it, right? He pounds on it until he has made it into the desired shape, but if it cools down too fast and he isn't done with what he was trying to make in the first place, it goes back in the fire, right? Um, the blacksmith will continue shaping the metal until he has finished his task and gotten the exact results that he wants. Similarly, God will continue refining, shaping, and challenging us until his will for us is completed. It will not always be easy or pleasant, but if we are fulfilling his will, how can it not end up good? Flip to 1 Thessalonians verse 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All right, I have a few examples. Has uh, anybody here not heard of Corey Ten Boom? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, Corey Ten Boom, uh, I think, was lived in Holland during World War II, and she hid Jewish people in her house and eventually was found out, and she and her sister were sent to several different concentration camps. Um, so Corey and her sister Betsy find themselves in Ravensbrück concentration camp, and Corey narrates, Suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above. Something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. We scrambled across the intervening platforms, heads low to avoid another bump, dropped down to the aisle, and edged our way to a patch of light. Here, and here another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us. Show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realize she was praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer. Before we asked, as he always does, in the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight then drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in 1 Thessalonians, I said. We were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving Sheveningen. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the frightened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. It seemed written expressly to Ravensbrook. Go on, said Betsy, that wasn't all. Oh, yes, to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey, that's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, then around me at the dark, foul-aired room, such as, I said, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room he will, who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here, since we're packed so close that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corey? She prodded. Oh, all right. 
Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely, for the fleas and for the fleas? This was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between piers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. The way in which God works the fleas uh, reveals itself later. Uh, works them out for good, sorry. You're looking extraordinary pleased with yourself, I told her. You know, we've never understood why we have so much freedom in the big room, she said. Well, I found out. That afternoon, she said, there'd been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes, and they'd asked the supervisor to come and settle it. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice. Because of the fleas, that's what she said. The place is crawling with fleas. My mind rushed back to our first hour in this place. I remembered Betsy's bowed head, remembered her thanks to God for creatures I could see no use for. So because of the flea infestation in their barracks or dormitory or whatever you want to call it, these women were allowed to develop a relationship with God in the, one of the worst places imaginable in a concentration camp during World War II. Okay, now let's look at another example from the life of Joseph. If you want, you can flip to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. I'm sure most of you or all of you are familiar with the story, but Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave. Uh, but God protected him and eventually used his influence to save a multitude. When he was reunited with his brothers, this is what he said. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And finally, last example, let's look at the life of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Satan afflicted Paul with a thorn. We don't know what it is as far as I can tell. Obviously, Paul was not pleased with the situation, and it wasn't easy for him as he prayed for deliverance from it three times. But God is using this thorn to glorify himself through Paul's weaknesses. What else can God use to glorify himself through us? Discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, if you want to flip there. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. So his discipline is a manifestation of his love and is for our good. In response to God's goodness, we should do good ourselves. And what is good, you might ask? Anything of which God approves is good. Flip to 2 Samuel, 
chapter 22, verse 31. David declared, as for God, his way is perfect. In other words, God never comes short of the goodness to which he has laid claim. And Psalm 18, verse 30, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord, Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. So upon accepting Jesus as our Savior, we are put on God's perfect way. Just like in Pilgrim's Progress, there will be places of toil and struggle. But God is our shield and will ultimately guard us as we take refuge in him. Okay, go ahead and turn to Philippians 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Okay, the third question that I have, why do all things work together for my good? Scripture tells us that God is the source of all good in the world. James 1:17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Furthermore, God only does good things for his children. Psalm 84, verse 11, no good thing does the Lord withhold from those that walk uprightly. And Paul informs us in Romans 8:32 that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, Will he not also give us all things with him? Okay, so let's look at the life of Jesus. Even Jesus, who we can all agree was perfect and loved God completely, was allowed to experience difficulties. Some may ask, how did Jesus' suffering work out for good? There are two answers to that question. One, his death brought glory to the Father. In John chapter 12, verses 27 through 28, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. After what, after what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And two, his death brought about our redemption. John 12, verse 47, For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So why do all things work together for our good? Because God loves us. As Christians, we have chosen to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, Matthew 22. If we love God, we will obey his commandments, 1 John 5, 3, and do what is pleasing to him. We will love God, not the world, 1 John 2, 15, and we will do all this because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. Okay, final question. What is God's purpose? Romans 8:29 For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers So what is the significance of the firstborn son For this we have to go back to Exodus chapter 13 verse 2 Dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites the first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. In Old Testament times, the firstborn son was the one who would inherit, inherit his father's role as leader of the family. So what is, what is God doing here? 
He is making a family of believers with Jesus as the head. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 6.18. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So we are brothers and sisters with each other in God's family. And now Matthew 12, verses 49 and 50. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. As long as we submit to God's headship, we are considered his family. Also, we are Christ's bride. 2 Corinthians 11.2 I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Okay, so why is God making us into a family? Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what I take from that, again, is two things. As a family... We should show an increase in our love and fellowship with one another. And two, as Christ's bride, we should strive for greater purity and holiness, as well as strive for greater love for Christ and submission to him. An outward visible expression of our love and commitment to God is our love and commitment to each other. Scripture tells us in Proverbs 17:6 that grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their father's. So, after all this, God is our heavenly Father and is therefore our glory. As we glorify God and enjoy him, Scripture tells us that he rejoices in us. Isaiah 62, verse 5. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Also, as God's children, we have, ob we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So God created us for his own glory, and his purpose for us is to demonstrate his glory. When we realize that God created us to glorify him, and when we start to act in ways that fulfill that purpose, then we begin to experience an intensity of joy in the Lord that we have never known before. And that entire excerpt was taken from the Systematic Theology book. Some will probably object that it's wrong for God to seek to glorify himself in creating man. They would be wrong. If God takes all the glory to himself, who exactly is he taking the glory from? Is there anyone that deserves glory more than God does? In short, nope. He is the creator. He made everything, and he deserves all glory. Okay, so Mark chapter 12, verse 30, if you want to flip there. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. When we give God our all, we glorify him and fulfill his purpose. Okay, so to recap, question number one, what does it mean to love God? To love God is to be committed to him, and because of this love, we will obey him not begrudgingly, but willingly. And the verse to back this up, 1 John 4, 16, 
God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Question number two, how does God make all things work together for good? God makes all things work together for my good by shielding me as I take refuge in him. And this can be seen in Psalm 18, verse 30. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Question number three, why do all things work together for my good? All things work together for my good because God is good, and in response to God's goodness, we should do good ourselves. Also, God deserves glory. He makes all things work for good as a demonstration of his glory. It is our love to God that makes every providence sweet and therefore profitable. And again, that's from the Matthew Henry commentary. And finally, God's purpose is to create a family of believers under his headship with Jesus as his firstborn son. The purpose of this family is to bring glory to the creator through an increase in love and fellowship with one another and through our striving towards greater purity and holiness as Christ's bride. When we give God our all, we glorify him and fulfill his purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you deserve our praise. You alone are worthy of glory. Thank you for creating us. We know that you don't need us, yet you created us and made us stewards of your beautiful creation. Remind us continually that we are here to glorify you with abundant life. Give us the desire to do all to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.